And welcome, welcome, welcome to Creativity in Focus, a live video podcast where we interview an artist every single week. And this week is not different. I have a very special guest. But before we get started, just a few announcements. This is live for a reason. We love your interaction. So anytime you feel like to comment something or even ask a question to my uh, guests, please do so. Wherever you're watching, there will be a comment box or even a chat box, either beside or below the video. That's the right space for you to uh, submit your questions and we'll be happy to answer them. Uh, the other thing is that if you're watching this on social media, so Facebook or anywhere else, uh, do share this video and leave a comment or even a like, a heart, whatever is the social media that they, they provide you. Uh, use that right at the beginning of the video while you're watching. Why? Because it tells the algorithms if they should be showing us or not. And we depend on that actually to get exposure to our podcast. And you know, our goal here is just to highlight artists and their art. So you're doing really good if when you share your comment, you send a heart. Now you can share this video anywhere. This is a content only podcast, so we are not going to try to sell anything. So you're safe to share on any group that you belong to, either on Facebook, Google+, wherever you want. Because again, it not only helps create visibility for the podcast, but it may inspire somebody, right? So those are my announcements for, for now. And let's get started. My guest today is Sarah Scott, right? You were a Welcome. fiber artist. Is that, is that how you... Uh, I, I would definitely call myself a fiber artist okay. because I dabble in so many, well, I wouldn't say I dabble, I actually get into yeah. all, you know, different areas of fiber art. So yeah, I definitely That's say it. fiber artist. Okay, so I know that Sarah uh, knits very well because she gave a class at Kira's Mondo and the pin loom weaving. Yeah. But tell, tell me a little bit more about the things you like to dabble or go deep into. Or go, okay, well, things I dabble and go deep into, <laughs> um, I enjoy quilting. Quilting is one of my biggest passions. I love oh. quilting and sewing. I used to be a seamstress, and so I still do a lot of sewing, you know, like costumes and whatnot. I've actually got a costume credit on a movie that had gone to Sundance. Oh, and really? Well, yeah, what movie? What yeah, movie? it was. Um, uh, p uh, it, it was um, an Asian name. It was a martial arts film. Oh, Ping Shaohan. Uh, that had that had gone to to Sundance, and this was years ago when I was back in in California. It was really interesting seeing that, and it was great working um, on that and getting that kind of experience. But I've also done a lot of other seamstressing for hire, like people who need bridesmaids dresses made or that kind of thing. And of course, I've made a lot of. Um, clothing like for myself or for my kids and and that kind of thing but I do a lot of costumes I really enjoy making costumes oh, really I do and and I also do jewelry making my mother-in-law mm. makes jewelry and so she had taught me how to do that so I make jewelry with, I, with beads or what do you uh -huh, use? with with beads um, instead of doing wire wrap I, I prefer working with with nice. beads uh -huh. yeah I don't have the tools to be able to do a lot of wire wrap mm -hmm. so even though it's very interesting and you know someday yeah. I might get into that as well <laughs> but right now my mother in law has done a really good job of getting me very involved in jewelry making. Thank you. And uh, and I do cake decorating. I really enjoy that because I, I like baking. Really? I like baking. And a spinning. So. And spinning, yes, yes. Wow. If it's a fiber art, I, I probably do it. I do the pin loom weaving, knitting, crocheting, and spinning, and, and I just I really enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. That's so cool. Now you do all this. 
Like even cake decorating, really? Yeah. <laughs> you that's, see, you're like, impressive. I keep coming back to that thing. <laughs> well, that, that, that went away a little bit of the fiber thing. And I say, whoa, quake, that, that's so cool. But you also raise how many kids? I have four children. Four children. Mm -hmm. You find time to do all this. Well, that's because they leave for most of the day and go to school. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so I'm here during school time. <laughs> That's funny. Now, from all these, so you, you start, can I say you started as a seamstress or was that the first uh, one? You know what, probably when it came to my crafts in general, I would say that I started off as a fiber artist because when I was about six years old is when I picked up uh, crocheting and knitting. Oh. So that's kind of where it started. And then around the same time, I started doing hand sewing because I wasn't old enough to use the sewing machine oh, yet. Oh, look at that. So, but I learned to use the sewing machine in home ec when I was in seventh grade. And oh. from there, uh -huh. it just kind of went from there. My grandmother was a seamstress. At one point, she had owned a shop. Um, and my mother sewed all of our clothes for us and mm -hmm. all of our costumes. I always had a hand-sewn dress on the first day of school. All of our costumes were made, and so then I just kind of continued on with that. It was a nice little thing to do on the side, and I enjoyed it, but now that's kind of off to the side because I'm all about quilting. <laughs> if I'm on the sewing machine, I'm quilting. Really, really? Yes. You like big panels, or you make breads? Uh, both, both. I will do either, um, I will work in small blocks, or mm -hmm. I will work in large panels, and then um, my, my second child is my crafting buddy. She likes to do all the same things oh, nice. that I do. Do. So she's got her sewing machine right next to mine and we'll work together. Oh, she knows how to use my machine too, so she'll get on there and use all the fancy stitches. And, uh -huh. and so I'm always impressed and I'm always so grateful. I love having a crafting buddy. Oh yeah, that's cool. And do you, are you more of a traditional quilter? Yes, very much. I know that there's, are you traditional or are you modern style when you're in quilting circles? Mm -hmm. People will ask that all the time. Yeah, so why don't but, you explain to us what that okay, is? Okay, modern style is when it is more geometric geometric or possibly more industrial in the look. It's a very modern style. And then traditional is where you are getting a lot of um, stars and uh, those kind of things that uh, make it look like a pattern for a quilt you would have found maybe a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, and that kind of thing. So I very much like the, tra the traditional style. I like, you know, a good Limon star. I like, you know, having the, the bear paw log uh, blocks and the log cabins. And I just really like those because they're just so cute. They're darling. And they're also often not that difficult to produce. So I really like the traditional style of, of quilting. That is cool. I do that a lot, yeah. You know, I used to quilt. Really? Like, uh, I don't know, let's say maybe 20 years ago, I actually started the very first uh, quilting guild in Brazil, <gasps> uh, the Brazilian wow. quilting yeah, guild. There was yeah. an American one, and at some point we actually joined, uh -huh. uh, but it was the first time. Wow, that's great. Yeah, and, and at that point, I, I don't know how it is now, but at that point, quilting in Brazil meant more the patchwork. Yeah. So putting yeah. the pieces together, create the log cabins and stuff like that. Not so much the quilting itself, yeah. the tiny yeah. stitches. Uh, but I, I had a friend from the American Guild. She's still my friend today. And she she learned, her mother, I think, she, oh, it was not a Quaker. It was um, an, Was she Amish? Because there's an Amish style of quilting too. Yes, but no, really Mennonite. Beautiful. Well, that, anyway, that style, yeah. One religion where her uh, her grandmother actually taught her how to do the quilting, and she had the most even tiny stitches you oh, could think yes. of. Yeah, oh, unbelievable. Yes. And today she 
she actually um, helps with the, you, you know when you sew bags for girls in Africa? Yeah, yeah I've done so that So she coordinates that in that oh, city nice. and sends tons of bags oh, uh, that to is Africa so nice. all the time. Yeah, so Susie nice. Lassie, she was amazing. She taught me a lot. So I used to like a lot uh, to quilt, but then, you know, I moved and everything and it does require you, you some space. You go through different stages of your yes, life yes. too, you know? Very cool, so, yeah, very yeah. cool. Now, are you self-taught in all your arts or? In some of them, yes, but in others, no. Like when I was learning to crochet and knit, my grandmother had taught me and crocheting was a lot easier for me to stick with at the time simply because I was a small child. So it was easier for me to work with one hook than to work with two knitting needles. And so at the time, I kind of put knitting to the side and I just kept with crocheting. And so that is why I had kind of a strong foundation in how it is that yarn gets turned into a piece of fabric when you keep pulling loops through each other. So I already had that kind of a foundation and then I came back to knitting later on in life, but I couldn't quite put it all together in my head. I was like, I know I've done this before and I can't quite, what did I do before? Because it had been so long. And finally, after trying and trying and trying and I couldn't get it, I finally went to a yarn shop and took a course. And within the first half hour that she was teaching, she presented the part of the puzzle that I was missing. And I was like, oh, that's fine. I got it. That's great. And immediately I started designing right after that. So within the first couple of months of that, I was already starting to design. And then um, I was starting to teach very soon after that because I'd already had previous experience, but I couldn't remember that one piece of the puzzle. And after that, everything, everything just came into focus. And I was like, okay, great. That's <laughs> fantastic. This, and then, and also with sewing, because I hadn't been allowed to use the machine because uh -huh. I was little, once I took home ec class and I took a sewing class at school and I actually got to use the machine, mm -hmm. then I became very proficient on the machine to do that. So, there but like cake decorating, I just read a lot of books <laughs> and I watched a lot of videos. That's and, good. Yeah. I like yeah. to run with that too. Remember, this is an interactive podcast so if you have any questions to Sarah that's a great chance for you to ask her yes, uh, please whatever do. you're watching there is either a comment or a chat either below or beside the video so put there and we'll get here actually guest 310 has a comment I have a quilt my grandmother made for me and I sleep with it every night oh that's that good cool? quilts are made to be used mm -hmm. so yeah. I like to hear when they're being used uh -huh. and they should literally be loved to pieces <laughs> Uh, a gal had given me uh, one of her handmade quilts. She made a quilt for my firstborn when she was uh, when she was a baby, and she said, "By the time that she's 20, I expect to see this in tatters because it was really supposed to be used, and it is on its way. Trust <laughs> <Really>? me, <laughs> the binding's coming off and everything." Uh, but she did a really good job on it, funny. and I love seeing it loved to pieces. That's what a quilt should be because it's made with love. It's made by hand by someone who really cares about you and gives it to you. So use it. Use and it. all those designs, they all have meanings and they do. stories. Do you know the one about the log cabin? Why it's always red in the center or should be red in the center? Uh, wasn't that? that to indicate a light regarding the Underground Railroad, uh, which cabin to go to for... Uh, if you see a particular light at a particular cabin, that's your next stop on the Underground Railroad. Really? Something like that. Wow, that's There's cool. an entire set of lore that goes on with the Underground Railroad uh -huh. during during the 1800s. That's fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. I know another story about the log oh, cabin. Well, because uh, in the pioneer time, right, the, the houses were small. 
And usually on the on the center of the house or the cabin mm -hmm. uh, is where you had the fireplace. Oh, so that yes. it was also the place where the family would gather together. So that's why it is red because mm -hmm. it, it meant not only where the fire is, but where people get together. And the heart of the home. The heart yeah. of the home. Isn't yeah. that beautiful? That Ooh. is nice. <laughs> that now, is nice. Sarah, there is one side that I like very much to talk about because I think it can inspire a lot of people. So you've been needing now for how long? Uh, well, actually, I guess if you take by the time that I was six, it's almost 40 years. But I really came back into knitting very strongly when I was in my mid-20s, so almost 20 years now. And what attracts you to knitting? I think I like the portability mm. of it. I can take a project and throw it into my purse, and I can take it with me and work on it while I'm in the grocery store line. I can work on it while I'm in a waiting room. I can work on it if I'm in completely stopped traffic. I can work on it when I'm picking up a kid from school. So it's nice that I can have something that is portable. I like that. I think the other thing that draws a lot of people into it, or any of the fiber arts, is the tactile nature mm -hmm. of it, mm -hmm. and all the different uh, ways that the different kinds of fibers feel. You know, when you have merino wool, which is like the highest grade of sheep wool there is, and it's so soft. And then you've got alpaca, which is even softer. And then yeah. you've got, you know, cashmere, you've got angora, you've got all these beautiful things. And then the natural feel of plant fibers like linen or cotton. It's wonderful. I, th I really like the tactile nature of this you, particular art. You actually art. become addicted to those fibers, You really right? do. And one of the great things about the fiber arts in general is when you're around other fiber artists, uh, you can just reach out and grab their project and feel it and nobody thinks anything of it because uh -huh. it is meant to be tactile. You're meant to feel yes, everything. you're meant to touch and feel yes, it. Yes, and I've even yeah. seen in knitting shops, they say, come in and feel our yarns. Yeah, yeah. You know, that kind well, of thing. Well, and, and that's another reason why people should be aware in their town where there are fiber festivals yeah. and fiber shows to go and do this because as, as fun and, and as easy as it might be buying online, mm -hmm. it's not the same thing when, when it you comes to fiber it. and textiles as when a whole. You, yeah, right? you, it's really great to feel it. Now, you know what's funny because the other day we were having the party here, right? Mm -hmm. And so there was this instructor here that he has two Angora bunnies. I already right? like him. Yeah, <laughs> so you know Jenny. So she was here and she heard and she went to him, so what do you do with their, their fiber, the hair? And he said, I throw it away. <gasps> Don't do that! <laughs> and she was doing? on and on and give me your address. I'll go down. <laughs> Thank you, Jenny. <laughs> Jenny's a friend of mine as well. Yeah. And I know she'll spin it up. She spins <laughs> prolifically. <laughs> oh my uh, Geneva Morris is asking, of the fiber arts, which is your favorite? Definitely knitting. knitting. I, I really enjoy doing all of them, but definitely knitting, probably because of the portability. It's I, I really enjoy spinning a lot, but I have to bring my whole wheel with me. I really enjoy weaving a lot, um, but I have quite a few items I've got to bring with me in order to work with my pin loom. I would need to bring a whole little case. And while that's you know, it's not that much more than I'm bringing with my knitting, um, it still requires me to bring some more things, and there's a little bit more setup. But with 
with my knitting, I can pick it right up off the passenger seat of the car and work on it while I'm waiting for a child to get out of school. So I really love, I can put it down and pick it up as needed. And if the conversation's too boring in a restaurant, you can always you can go under the thing. kind of be working on it. So, yes, I bring it with me seriously everywhere. I think portability is something that we need to consider nowadays. For me, that's important yeah. too. I do a lot of felting, but it's because all I need is a needle and a, a small foam. Because it's hard to find like a one hour, two hours where I can yeah. be home in a specific place and do something. So for example, the spinning is something I struggle all the time because it does require me to be sitting on you've a place. You've got to sit and you've got to be committed for a little while. Yes. So yes. I try and do my spinning either after bedtime or while the kids are at school because otherwise the whole you time they're there, it's mom, yeah. mom, mom. And it's like, stop making me get up. I have a lap full of wool. Please stop. <laughs> I'm buried right now. Yeah, so. yeah, true. Now with the knitting, going back to the knitting, most people think they will knit something for themselves or to give and sometimes they they can't sell some items mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. i know a lady that makes only uh hats right mm -hmm. beanies and she sells in fiber fairs but you you found other ways to generate income with that, right? You yes, mind yeah, us? sure. Um, I have done a lot of test knitting and sample knitting for various companies and various designers. Now, in that industry, sometimes you get paid in money, sometimes you get paid in product. And there is a company that I work for on the East Coast, and I get paid in product. And actually, I really like that. Mm -hmm. It's really fantastic. And a lot of times when you're doing that kind of work, they will ask you, do you want to get paid in cash or would you do you want to get paid in product and when I was asked that I was like product thank you I would like to be paid in yarn for this particular company that I worked for other times when I'm working for a company on a uh, one-time basis then I just go ahead and I get paid in cash or if I have a knitting client a knitting student that I'm working with regularly a lot of times I'll just get paid an hourly rate in cash um, I have a knitting client that I currently work with um, and she works in a particular business so she and I simply trade services I get a service from her and she gets a service from me so sometimes it's a bartering method but a lot of times you do get paid in cash if it's a professional company that's asked you to work with them now what I find interesting is that most needing most yeah most yarn shops usually the owner is a fiber artist themselves quite mm -hmm. common I have I know of a, a awesome storyteller that she just opened a fantastic place in her town oh, good. and I just forgot the name but uh, her name is is uh, Kim and it, so she invites people so you, you know they are fiber artists now why do they need other people creating samples for them simply because there are not enough hours in the day when you're in the middle of running a yarn yes. shop or a, when you're running a business there just simply are not enough hours in the day uh, this company for which I work over on the East Coast um, the, they do a lot of trunk shows or fiber fairs. So they're working the circuit and there's not enough time at home to be able to produce enough of their own um, products, enough of their own display items. Because at home, uh, when, they're, when they're not out on the circuit and they're, they're back in their hometown, all the time is spent dyeing because these are all hand dyed yarns. It's, it's spent dyeing and um, preparing the yarns for sale and preparing what you're going to take for the next sale or the next show. So there just is not enough time to be able to do it. So this company has multiple 
uh, sample knitters all throughout. In fact, here in my area, from my own knitting guild, there are multiple sample knitters just in my knitting guild alone that work for this company. And we're all just happy as clams. <laughs> we love it so much. As soon as we're done with one, we get an assignment for another one, and I really enjoy it. And how, how does the assignment work? They, they send you, they, they give you a specific idea of what, whatever they want, or you just say, okay, I got this yarn, make something, make something. with that. Um, the owner, uh, she, every time she contacts me, she actually specifically says, hey, check out this link and see what you think of this pattern. Would you like to do this one? So she gives me the option of if I think I can do this one. Also, if I have the time to do it because she knows I'm busy. And so she's like, do you have time to work on this one for me? And so she'll send me the link and I'll go and I'll look up the pattern because she is in cahoots with several designers. So she uses her yarn to produce their patterns, and then it helps to promote the designer. It helps to of the pattern, and it helps to promote the yarn company, and so it does that. However, we've got another designer that is in our knitting guild who does a lot of work with this particular yarn company, and sometimes she will just receive yarn and then come up with a pattern for mm. it. Okay. So, but for me, for the sample knitters, it's often here is this pattern. What do you think of it? You want to do this one? Great. Fantastic. And then they'll just send the yarn. It's quite interesting because, uh, first of all, by combining the yarn with the pattern, they're cross-selling yeah. that. So for them, they're generating more income with the same sale. And the importance of the samples, by mm -hmm. the way, uh, yeah. I think it's important noticing how important they are. Because you, you go into a yarn shop and you see all those colors, all those type of yeah. you, you, you kind of go on overwhelm mode very, yes. very easy. And sometimes just by being there, you might even went in with an idea in your head, but you, oh, you lose what you can do. Yes. A sample is a door to a possibility. It really right? is. You look it at really the sample, oh my gosh, I want this. I could do that, yes. I could do that, exactly. I actually went to a local, uh, it's local but in another city here the other day where they had the person that makes the pattern, mm -hmm. uh, they brought her, well, I, I think she's local as well. And the person that dyes the yarn, mm -hmm. and they brought mm -hmm. her, I think, from New York, and they were doing mm -hmm. the show inside the yarn shop together. Yeah, that's that's the company I, I work oh, with. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. And, yes, I know exactly which trunk show Well, and I about. went there just because, right? And again, don't don't knit much, but the moment I saw both of their work together, the amazing mm -hmm. colors, I, I want to make this, I want to make this. Well, I did end up buying some yarn mm -hmm. that I haven't touched because I don't knit and the problem <laughs> about knitting. But, but you just go, my gosh, I can make this or I can, and how look, and, and the uniqueness, for example, of those yeah. types of yarns that is, is just yeah, fantastic. It is. So. And you're right, a finished project is inspiration for others. Mm -hmm. So this this yarn company that I work with, it's, it's actually, it's a New Jersey Jersey, but she does a lot of work in the New Jersey, New York area and all up there in the East Coast. And, and she'll do a lot of the, the circuit there. She works the, the fiber fair circuit there. But um, she has a family member that lives here in our area. So she comes to visit her and to do trunk shows here or to go to fiber fairs that are in this area. And uh, one of the main designers that she works with that's here is from our guild. And so they'll often do trunk shows together So uh. because they collaborate so much on the stuff. One will design the patterns, the other one is providing the yarn, and it's very inspiring to see the same pattern show up in several different colors. That's it's fantastic. wonderful. It is it's wonderful. wonderful. It is. I yeah. want to talk about uh, more about patterns, but Guest 260 is saying, what kind of trends happen in the fiber art world? And what do you think are the stable art forms? 
Wow. You know what? At different times of year, you're going to find different trends that are going along. Obviously, as you go into the colder season, you're going to see a trend that follows fuzzier yarns and definitely more wool. You know, you're going to see a lot more angoras, a lot more mohairs, and a lot more wool in general. As you go into the hotter seasons, as you go into spring and summer, you're going to encounter a lot more um, patterns that are written for bamboo yarn or cotton yarn or linen yarn because obviously you want the yarn to uh, coincide with the season, what you'll actually be able to wear and not, you know, die of a heat stroke or something. And so the trends often follow the season. However, it is the knitters that produce a lot of the trends even more so than the actual yarn companies themselves because the knitters are determining which colors are flying off the shelves. And I think you'll find that a lot of times the greens, blues, and purples are what seem to go off the shelves first because those really tend to be the favorite colors of a large percentage of knitters. And then in the summertime, you get a lot more tropical colors that are flying off the shelves. You get a lot more of the coral or the yellow or the um, turquoise colors that are going off the shelves, the, the pale turquoises and that. And so a lot of the trends are being determined by the knitters themselves and not always by the knitting companies, not always that's by the yarn companies. That's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Now she's asking, uh, do you think are, uh, what do you think are the stable art forms in this area? Socks will never go out of style. Everyone is always going to knit socks. Everybody loves that. It's been going for hundreds of years, thousands of years actually, because we have even found socks that were knitted in ancient Egyptian times that are inside Crazy. tombs. Um, but socks have been going on for so long and they're a necessity and they're fun. I told you before, right? I never wore a needed pair of socks. Really? Hint, hint. Yeah. Maybe I need to fix that. <laughs> never, never. <laughs> uh, I, I also think about uh, talking about fiber arts in general, what's stable. I think really, I don't see any type of fiber art really dying. Uh, but. I will, I will think, I would think that knitting has reached a point that maybe other fiber arts uh, haven't, it, which is we, we saw knitting going to a younger and a younger yes. generation. So yes. uh, you have very famous groups now oh, uh, yes. with very young people, right? And it also, uh, gender-wise, it doesn't matter. You have tons oh, of guys yes. knitting today. When you get right. into more metropolitan areas, there are a lot more men and young boys that. that are involved yeah. in the knitting groups, the social knitting groups. So can, can we risk saying it's one of the most stable uh, I think it is. And actually, back in history, it was the men who did the knitting. A lot of it, um, what became what we're used to doing as knitting now, was something that the men mostly did. And so that's why you see a lot of old black and white photos where men are knitting or they are doing knit style techniques in order to create their fishing nets. That kind of thing. So when you see these old black and white photos from way back when, it's the men that are doing the knitting. Um, and so there were there were only certain kinds of items that the women would do the knitting for, like maybe a lace shawl, something like that. But we, yeah, we the men are to very do that, involved, right? If it's uh, going to if especially it's crafts, arts or we fiber say, oh, arts. it's a women's thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, quilting, for example, I, I remember that uh, in India, it's usually the man that quilt. 
Yeah. Yeah, I actually yeah. had a friend that brought several from there and they were gorgeous. Most yes. of them were in black and white, by yes. the way. But yes. they, they, they are the ones that go and do yeah. the quilting. Yeah. So. My own uncle, my, my grandmother's brother, was an incredible quilter. And when he passed away, I actually ended up inheriting quite a few of his sewing items. And a lot of his other items came to my grandma because uh, she was a quilter as well. So a lot of her, his items came to her, and then I also got some of the, the items as well. So yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's good not to have boxes, right? I, I think it's very good that some of these fiber arts, they are very fluid. They go, yeah. uh, needle felting is also like oh, that. Yeah, you have a absolutely. ton of guys that do it. Uh, now, I just forgot what I was going to ask. Okay. But the place that I told you about, Kim, is called The Makery. You really oh. should check that out. Okay, I will do. Oh, that's downtown. No, no, no. Oh, is she's, that... not in, she's not in Utah. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't we know have we... something that... Um, it sounded like that name, but it's right here in our downtown area. So this is a, a storyteller, a professional art. storyteller, Kim Wentrop, and she's amazing as a oh, storyteller. Oh, wow. And she has a passion. She needs a lot. As now she's into embroidery a lot. And she decided to create this space, but it has this new proposal. Uh -huh. So we still give classes and yeah. get-togethers and stuff, but it just looks really, really cool. Oh, I do need to look that up. Geneva, say, do you ever sell your pieces? On occasion. And sometimes I do them as a commissioned work, and other times I will actually create several items to sell. But it's actually kind of a rare occasion for me. Everybody keeps saying, oh, you need an Etsy shop, you need an Etsy shop. And it's like, for me, I guess I look at it as I'm enjoying doing it so much as a hobby. If I made it a job, it would just be work, you know? And so I think I enjoy making it. The other thing is, and you'll hear this a lot in the fiber industry, you couldn't afford me. <laughs> if if you understood how many hours go into actually making something by hand, you'd never be able to afford it. And so that is why handmade items um, cost more because it wasn't something that a machine made in a factory. This had to be made by hand. It took human hours. It took hours away from other things that needed to get done, other family time, other obligations in order to finish producing this item. And so that's why handmade items are so highly prized and that's why they have higher price tags because of what they cost to make and what they cost in time to, to do. So I, I sometimes sell them, but for the most part, if you get an item from me, it's usually just because I gave it to you as a gift. <laughs> I, think, I think, do we have happening a mindset shift here? Because I know for a while, people were devaluing hand, handmade items yeah. because of course we were getting so much stuff from oh, Asia yeah. that we thought, why am I going to pay this much for this if I can pay a dollar here? Uh, exactly. Have you seen a shift on that or not? I am. I'm starting to see a shift where people are putting more importance on small businesses and the support of small businesses, specifically your own local small businesses and local artisans. And I think that one a, a good case in point is how many farmers markets are showing up that spring up in all of the cities everywhere. Everyone's starting to have their own farmers market. And I realize that doesn't apply to crafts, but the way that it applies is that you are seeing this mindset of, I would rather support my local farmer than end up waiting for my food to be imported out of country. 
And so it's that same mindset. I want to support my local small businesses. I want to support my lo local artisans. And a lot of artisans are now starting to use local products. So they'll use the wool from the local sheep in order to produce their, their knitted items. And so I think we are seeing a shift in that. People are starting to get the idea that even though you can get stuff in our ready-made society, stuff comes from a factory so easily and it's very, very cheap. And um, I think that people are starting to understand the value of having something that's handmade. I think the handmade, first of all, had the energy of that person yeah, that created that. But with the buying local part, in some cases, it's not even healthy if you buy outside. Yeah. But yeah. there is the other side that probably that person that is running either a farm with alpacas mm -hmm. or, or a yarn shop or whatever it is, well, they, they are not only your neighbors, they might be going to school with your kids. And yeah. if you don't create a healthy society around you, you yeah. cannot complain about the big picture either, yeah. right? Because you need a local rapport with your own community, mm -hmm. and that breeds a, a global rapport. Mm -hmm. in our global community. Yes, so even though in times like now that we are going to the mm -hmm. end of the year and it's easy for you to shop online and, and really I have an online business with Curious Mondo but I also think is this, yes you can buy everything online, yes it might be free shipping for everybody mm -hmm. but right, uh, what's the impact that you're creating yeah. by doing 100% of that online? Mm -hmm. you, you can mix that a little bit, what makes sense to yeah. you to buy online, buy online but think about, for example, yarn. Not only you yeah. have the feeling yeah. of, of touching the piece, you, you're supporting really the local community, meaning you know people can afford to send their kids uh, to do whatever they need to do. They, you yeah. keep everybody healthy. Yeah. Now, we saw, you've been in this for quite a while, uh, and you saw when the yarn shops start closing like crazy, yes. right? Yes. Yes. What was the reason behind that? You know, a lot of times it has to do with economy. When the economy overall is down, people aren't as likely to spend money on um, extras or what they look at as hobbies. It's like I can live without my hobby. I need the necessities. So when the economy in general is down, I think you will see kind of a downturn in extras in anything that is a luxury, anything that is an extra, anything that is a hobby. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunate for us because when you stop putting money out into the economy, out into retail, then it just brings the economy down more. It ends up being a cycle. So, and this isn't meant to be an economy lesson, This, but um, you know, that's generally how it works. You know, it, it just continues to breed this downward cycle in there. But I think that when it comes to a lot of crafters, it's their passion that is inside them, their tremendous love for this hobby. Um, some of us even say we're addicted to fill in the blank. We're addicted to knitting. We're addicted to spinning. And it makes us want to go ahead and find a little bit extra to put toward that. It's like, I really, really want to get a little bit more wool because I really, really mm -hmm. want to do some spinning. It make I me really so want happy. to do some knitting. And it's, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, but this yarn would make me so happy. And so... I think that overall, it's, it's in general the economy, when the general economy of the country goes down, then a lot of other extras get cut out. Now, uh, according to the news, the economy is fantastic right now. Do you think that any chances of these shops coming back? 
I think that a lot of times when a shop closes down, it's unlikely that the same owner is going to come back and uh, reopen that same shop. Um, and there are lots of reasons for that. They may have become involved in doing something else during the time that they had closed down. They may have involved themselves in more uh, family issues. Maybe they have an aging parent that they are now taking care of. Maybe they're now at a stage of life where they're doing something else with children, you know, or any number of things could keep them from being able to reopen. There, and there's always also the feeling of having been burnt once, and it makes you real gun shy to come back a second time. However, I really applaud those who come back to it again and again. And I've seen uh, the local yarn shops close down in my own area here and where I was in California in the Central Valley. Mm -hmm. And I hate seeing that because I want fiber to get out yeah, into yeah. the community. Again, we, we said a few minutes ago, it's a tactile thing, and now oh, yeah. you don't have the place to go and touch. You do have the, the fairs, but still the But shops. that's like once a year, if you, yeah. if you even have a fiber fair in your area. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who are here in uh, the Salt Lake area, we do have a fiber fair yes, here. Do. So don't miss it, it's, it's Mother's Day weekend <laughs> every year. Yeah, and it's, and it's a great. I actually traveled to the end of nowhere in Montana about wow. a couple of months ago to go to a fiber festival, and I thought it was awesome. And oh, really, yeah. when I was there, we were going through a non-paved road and everything, and I said, what on earth? Why Where did I have this idea? But once I got there, it was worth every moment oh, of it the, is. the trip. It really is. Yeah, I think if people come back or decide to mm -hmm. open yarn shops today, what they have to have in mind is that they will have to behave on their business in a different way. Yeah. And not come yeah. with habits of 10 years ago, because yeah. that, that's not going to cut and anymore. It, and I think that the reason you see so much change all the time in the way businesses are run is basically because tech Technology keeps moving forward. So technology is what keeps continuing to make the changes in businesses, mm -hmm. all true, kinds of businesses. True. And Jenny talking about uh, buying local is saying, and it isn't all about the money. It isn't. It isn't. It's about the feeling you have of supporting your local community. That's mm -hmm. really what it is. And a lot of people are really starting to get that desire. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. We, we need to say, there is the moment to save. We all need to be and that's wise with, with the money. It's good to make. be frugal. Yes. But when you can buy local, please do. Not, don't go overboard on yeah, e either yeah. side, right? Moderation in all things. Yeah, right. right? You know? <laughs> Regina Moore is saying, it's very sad that people don't realize all the time and cost that goes into handmade. That's true. That's true. And she also says, our local farmer's market has local artisans set up. We, we do have, we, we right now just here in town, I think we have four or five of them. Right? Oh, yes. And yes. at least two, no, three of them that I know for sure have artisans Yes, as well. Yeah, it's becoming very popular to have artisans included in with a farmer's market. Mm -hmm. So it ends up kind of like a, a one-stop shopping place. So you can get your produce and you can get some really neat artistic items as well. That's how I like yeah. it. If I, I like it. That's great. Market, it I makes it more interesting, yeah, you know? Yeah. So I like it that way. Uh, Geneva, where do you find your inspiration to create? Oh, my goodness, from all over. A lot of times, and I think you'll hear a lot of other fiber artists say this as well, I'll, I'll pick up a, a, a skein of yarn and I'll just kind of be looking at it, feeling it, kind of mulling over in my mind what it wants to be. And sometimes the yarn tells me what it wants to be. It will tell me I'm best as a sweater, or it will tell me I want to be a shawl, or I want to be a pair of socks, any, you know, whatever it tells me. So sometimes the yarn will speak to me and I think you'll find a lot of fiber artists will say that same thing. It spoke to me and it told me it wanted to be 
whatever. And a lot of wood turners will also say, this one told me it wanted to be such and such sculpture. This one told me it wanted to be a pen. It wanted to be a, a ring bowl. It, you know. And so my, my uncle is a wood turner and he does incredible work. And so I've, I've seen him sit there and just stare at a piece of wood waiting for yeah. it to talk to him. And then it turns into something beautiful because of the inspiration. For me, a lot of times it will come from the color and the feel of the yarn itself. It will tell me what it wants to be. Other times, I get onto my favorite uh, knitting website and I'll just start scrolling through and something will pop out at me. I'm like, that, that's what I'm going to make. And also at the same time, I know what yarn I've already got in my storage bins. And it's like, I know exactly which yarn I'm going to make with that too. Yes, yeah, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This thing about talking, all, all our mentors, they, they, at some point they mentioned that. They told me what he wanted to be. Yeah, yeah. I go to a wood carvers group and oh. it's, it, yeah, it's really cool. Wow. And sometimes you, the guy comes and he has, I don't know, a, a, a piece of cotton wood. Yeah. So it's just the bark, right? Just the bark. And they, and sometimes they get together, two or three of them. Uh, I think there's a wise man here. Oh, I think here you have a fireplace and whatever, whatever. And you keep looking at the bark like where? It's where like, I don't where, see. Where, where I'm telling you, an, uh, different artists see different things mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in it. You know? Yes, if it's, so, it's just great. It is. Just going back a little bit sure. to the patterns, that's something else that you provide or you have done that before, right? I have, yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that something that somebody that just knows how to knit can start making and and profiting for that, or do you think that's Yes, hard? on, um, like on Ravelry.com, that's the main knitting website that I use, and it is professional designers, but the vast majority of the people on there are just Joe Blow, you know, somebody down the street that happens to be a knitter and designed a pattern design. and puts it on there. So it's not necessarily always professionally made, but it's by people that want to share what they have made and they want you to be able to make that pattern too. So it's just a wonderful community of sharing. So not everything is always professional. Sometimes it's just the home knitter. And one of the things I like about that is that that particular website welcomes everyone, mm -hmm. people who are experts at designing, people who have just started designing and have maybe their very first pattern coming out for something very simple. It could just be maybe a baby hat, but they wanted to share it with others. And on that site, you can either find patterns that are for free or patterns that are for pay. And so it's actually a good way to uh, bring in a little bit of supplemental income. I have designer friends that um, they sell their patterns on there and in other spots, and they make uh, an extra income through and that. And it's not just for needers there, right? No, it's crocheters, it's weavers, it's spinners. It's for all fiber artists. That's so, cool. yeah. Regina Moore is saying that uh, Mike Clay talks to me. That's exactly how yep. it should. Yeah, that's cool. She, she must work with clay. Maybe she throws pots or something. <laughs> yeah, no, I think she's a sculptor. Tell me one thing. What keeps your creativity in focus? Being around crafting materials. And it makes me keep thinking, all right, as soon as I'm done with this project that I know I've got to get done, I've got a deadline for it, I definitely want to get back to that. So I've already got in my mind tunnel vision toward this item that I know I want to work on next. And I, I think that constantly uh, being around my other creative friends and attending my knitting guild meetings and, and going to the spinning guild where uh, that's uh, spinners who spin yarn and uh, being around them, attending fiber fairs when I'm around other people that are like-minded and do the same crafts I do, mm -hmm. that really keeps me focused on the crafts that I enjoy. I, I think that's very important uh, because we, we are living in a moment that is very easy for us to isolate ourselves. 
with fooling ourselves that because we are scrolling a feed someplace, we are in connection with people. And so by, by participating in groups, yeah. we really see people and talk and see You their need challenge. physical interaction yes, with someone. Yes, and it, you know? it's not only about the needing or the spinning, uh, sometimes their life challenges as well yeah. or yours. So you, you're not only exercising whatever craft or art do you, you like to make, but you're exercising being human yeah, and being absolutely. selfless in the sense of you stop to hear about other people's concerns about stuff. Yeah. And, and we, we are losing a little bit of that and that, that's not a I healthy so. thing, right? I think so. I think we've definitely lost a lot of the human contact. Yes. Because we, and just like you said, we think we're in contact yeah. with people. We fool ourselves into it simply because we're in contact with a hundred different people on social media. And that's not actually the same. No. You know, talking to somebody on a text or, you know, on online or something is not the same as actually having physical human contact. When you're actually in with them, you're a lot more apt to share something deeper or something that is really in the back of your mind weighing down on you if you're actually in that person's presence. And I think that a lot of people find that in crafting circles of any kind, crafters are extremely giving, very mm -hmm. sympathetic, empathetic people. And if, if they perceive that you're having an issue or you tell them that you're having an issue with something, whether it's with your craft or something that's in your personal life, they just rally around you and just bring you in. And I think that uh, that's very common in a lot of crafting circles. Uh, you know, if you say, oh, I am completely out of alpaca, I've used it all up. Well, here, let me give you some more. You I know? have in my or car. Or that kind I, of I, I thing. Have, I got I some in my, my car. car. <laughs> Hold on. You know, or, or you're sitting there and you're all working along um, uh, and somebody will say, oh, who's got scissors? Because they're trying to cut some of their yarn or something and everybody gets out their little accessories bag. Here you go. And that kind of thing. And I think it's very common in all sorts of crafting circles that people are just so giving and so loving. And especially when you're in, um, I've noticed this mostly in the fiber art simply because that's what I'm mostly involved in. And somebody will bring up an issue that they're having maybe in their personal life and they're all just there knitting it's like honey you just tell me everything it's okay mm -hmm. and it's and you get such wonderful support and so True. I think that you really need that one-on-one -on -one human contact because people wouldn't normally be apt to um, release that kind of information mm -hmm. if it was just online they'll just keep it hidden in secret yeah, true. And yeah. we need that. You we really, that really need that. And it's so true. The other day I got a um, electric spinning wheel oh, on Kickstarter. Yes. Again, I don't yeah, spin. Yeah, I think that's the same one I got. I got it too. So so I took to the spinning wheel. Then I said, I got this and I don't know how to use it. And I, at least four people came and said, oh, I know you're busy. I can't stop by your place and help you. Yeah. And it's still in the box. But not because I didn't have offers, right? Yes. The, yes. the ball is on my court yes. now. But they came in and said, I can go. And you say, wow, this person is willing to leave their home mm -hmm. uh, and spend part of their day teaching me something just because out of yeah. goodwill. And Some of us live so far away from each other in our spinning oh, guild. Yes. We live at all yes. parts of this area. Some of us are not local to each other. And we're also willing to drive to mm -hmm. each other and help out. Yes. So it's, but the, it's this, a great this brings back the fact that, you know, good people are everywhere and they, they are. are willing they to are. share they're not just inside ourselves the danger of just being here is that we see a, a lot of angry angriness mm -hmm. out there and we fool ourselves that we are in contact with people and then we start making the wrong decisions yeah. based on something that I can, is not I even can see really how that real, happens right? I can see how that happens so any final words pick up a hobby <laughs> yes. Start doing them. And right here on Curious Mondo is where you can learn any number of them. True. 
True. Yes, and you know what? Find something that really speaks to you. Find something that you love. Find something that your hands are going to enjoy doing and really involve yourself in it. Allow yourself to love it. Be inspired. Be empowered. Be impassioned by this and enjoy it. Life is to be enjoyed, so it's not meant to be a drudgery. Find something that you really enjoy doing. And passion is so good. It is. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. So why not looking for something that you you maybe think you like, but go explore a little bit, right? Yeah, and, that's and right. And dive into that because it's only going to bring you happiness. Yes, absolutely. With, with just some drops of frustrations when you make a mistake. But when you, you drop a stitch in your knitting, but that's okay because <laughs> that's we can okay. fix it. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this. You know, Sarah is a fantastic, energetic person, so talented. She even does cake decorations. I didn't know that. You're still so surprised. I thought I knew her. <laughs> I mean, I just didn't cake know about her. And, and again, this video stays wherever you're watching, which means you can share with people. You know, you might have somebody that is really in a moment where they could use another hobby, they could get inspired right now. Well, share this video. It's that simple. Uh, it's whatever you are, it stays there. So share this video with other people. Uh, do check all our past episodes. Creativityinfocus.com is the right spot we have all the episodes there we have amazing people that we have interviewed and next tuesday we will be back with another amazing artist so thank you very much for the privilege of your time i'll see you back here next tuesday